Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. All right. Welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Sort Of. Uh, we got Jason here and, and Billy's here. And uh, we're going to do a little housekeeping first, of course. Uh, this week, I think we're going to do something a little different and, and not so much focus on a topic. Talk more about just recovery in our lives and in specific and maybe how that applies in general. Um, I do want to point out we, we are now on Twitter and uh, which is at recovery sort of. So you can find us there if you're looking for us. Um, One of the things I've noticed on Twitter so far is that it just seems to be full of alcoholics and and many, many less addicts are on there claiming to be addicts at least. Um, And I, you know, I thought the same thing uh, that might, be thought by a lot of people that that's stigma still, even though I kind of thought that stigma was gone, but it, I definitely noticed it. It's, it's overwhelmingly populated with people who claim to be sober that are tweeting. And I, I even, you know, pointed that out and uh, I got a couple of addicts that responded like, Hey, I tweet, I'm clean and all that. And that was great. But I don't know. Do you, do you think that's because of stigma still in 2019? I definitely do. I mean, I think there's still at this point, you know, with the even in movies and things, you see people talk about, you know, being sober and then, you know, AA and drinking has because it's still the same where alcohol is a socially acceptable thing. A lot of people drink and I think it's easier for people to make the the jump to oh i can see drinking is fun i have fun when i go to the beach and drink on the weekends or i have fun when i go camping and have some beers and i can see how a person with you know limited uh you know control could go overboard and that makes more sense than what you stereotypically think of an addict which is like a homeless person you know laying in the streets shooting up with you know needles and and those kind of things. Right. And so that's a way bigger jump for most. Yeah. I can't you know, everyday people. you know, using needles and shooting heroin with dirty water and sucking dick for five bucks. Like I, I could understand that. I also consider that maybe just alcoholics, uh, you know, for whatever reason that gets sober, like Twitter more than addicts do. And I don't know for what that would be. Maybe addicts get into other stuff like porn. Uh, I have no idea. Like maybe that's just not the forum for a clean addict, uh, on Twitter. Maybe it lends itself more to being a, a sober alcoholic. Yeah. And I would have to do some exploration. Like I've never used, you know, Twitter or Facebook or, uh, Instagram as like a, a push for recovery. Right. Um, I will reshare some articles and things that I've, heard on addiction or things I've listened to or, you know, programs, places are doing that I think are interesting. I'll just reshare them. I usually don't comment much, but I don't comment much on social media. I've kind of tried to avoid it right. the last little while. Um, I have one 
for the sake of having it, but I don't use it very much. Right. Yeah, I don't uh I don't know where that's gonna go. I definitely I can't stand personally to like self promote. It just feels so icky on me. Uh, but nobody else is ever gonna promote this podcast, so I figured I better create a podcast Twitter and that way I wouldn't feel quite as bad, even though I have yet to post a link to anything. I've just been, you know, conversing with uh people in the recovery community because they're funny and interesting. Um, so what, one place we can start today, I, I just noticing for me that this is a regular theme in my life. Uh, two weeks ago, um, I'm in school. I have school classes at night. I have a field placement, which is an internship. If you're not familiar with the terminology that I go to regularly, uh, for 24 hours a week. And I had a job that I was working and, you know, I have, of course, I have a family at home and, and hitting a meeting and, and full life, but I, I wasn't dreading any of it, right? All of it seemed really cool. I was excited to go to my field placement. I was excited to go to my work. Everything seemed good, right? I was really grateful for it all. I wasn't waking up miserable like, oh, I got to get out of bed and go to these things. It all felt really positive. Um, and, and there's been some change over the last couple weeks. I mean, you know, if I wanted to point out changes, uh, the the job is on a hold status right now where it's not happening. And so I haven't had that going on. Um, the weather has definitely changed. It's gotten colder over the last couple of weeks. The sun, you know, hours change with the, with the time change. Um, so there has been some slight changes, but I've definitely felt this week. So here I am two weeks later, not much has changed in my life. And I'm feeling much less happy with the things that I'm doing. I'm arguing with my wife uh, Friday night. I'm like, what's, why do I, why am I so, uh, uh, you know, fluent in mood change at all times, no matter how many steps I've worked, no matter how much spiritual connection I try to work towards, I feel like I just can't stay with one perspective because if nothing's changed in my life and my feelings change, that's a perspective change probably. Right. But I, what changes it so frequently? Why do my moods and feelings change so vastly when nothing externally does? And that drives me crazy. Yeah. I've noticed that in my life as well. And I sort of don't, think as much about the why a lot of times like I chalk it up to I'm just an addict and that's just the way I am and everything could be great and I could still be miserable and unhappy and find something to bitch about right you know and then other times you know things are a struggle and we're fighting our way through but it's like all this optimism and hope and you know what I mean like we're gonna get through this and it's gonna be good and you know and and same I don't know that a lot changes um and I've always just chalked that up to like that's Hard to be in an addict, you know. My feelings are all over the place. Um, what they call like tissue paper feelings, you know what I mean? Right. It's like one or two little things don't go my way, and all of a sudden the sky is falling and life sucks. And, <laughs> you know, and and I think like I had a similar like yesterday. I was doing some things around the house. We had some issues come up. We bought this older house and we needed some work. I'm changing a light fixture and I realized the electrics deteriorating behind the walls. And of course, immediately that turns into this emergency where I got to rip all the electric out of the house and replace all the wiring. And so it's an older house that needs work and I'm doing that. And I'm trying to take care of the dog because my wife's out of town. So I'm trying to take care of the dog and the kids and the house and, you know, dishes are piling up and things are 
you know, not going like I want them to go. And immediately I'm like, I can't fucking do this anymore. I'm done with this. (laughs) I, you know, I'm, I'm out. Like I'm done. I can't do it. Right. And, uh, you know, I sit down and I take a breath and I sort of think about it for a minute and kind of laugh. Like I laugh, like, where the fuck do I think I'm going? And what do I think I'm (laughs) doing? You know what I mean? Like, I got, I mean, I could walk away from all of it and really if I wanted to, and that's fine, but I don't think that would make me happy. You know, not at all. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess I looked at some of the stuff that happened earlier on, um, in my recovery and, and before, you know, I did seek some outside help through therapy. And, and I look at the stuff that happened before that and I say, okay, um, I felt maybe uh, weak and helpless as a kid, but then I got in recovery and I started going to the gym and I started taking all these supplements and I got to be a, a larger guy, right? Um, but I would still wake up and look in the mirror and and one day, you know, Monday I look in the mirror and I'm like, God damn, look how big I am. I'm jacked, right? And then Tuesday I wake up and I'm the same size and I'm like, I feel like such a small, tiny human, right? And so that I could understand and therapy helped with some of the negative self, you know, talk and, and low self-esteem. But I guess I just get frustrated now because it's like this deep... The smallest things when I get in this mode, it's like half depression and just everything seems gloomy and there's like a cloud over my head a little bit. And and the smallest things seem like such a huge inconvenience. Uh, but the, the hoodie I wear, I like to pull the sleeves up to the elbow, but then when I pull them back down, they're too loose, right? And, and my vape batteries aren't lasting long enough. And it just all seems like the end of the world to me. And I'm like, God, I hate that. Like everything was so great two weeks ago. Why can't I just stay there always? Yeah. Have you tried doing, you know, the weird sort of uh, positive reinforcement, like the gratitude lists and stuff like that when you get into those modes? Have you ever? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. And so one of the things I am thankful for uh, is that when I get in these modes today, it's not uh, I don't feed the doom and gloom. Right. Like I know it's there and I and I catch myself in it. And what I generally do for me um, I end up talking to God a lot more like, Hey God, like, I don't like this. What's up? Right. Can we do something about it? Am I supposed to sit here in it? Um, you know, in my argument with my wife, which, uh, look, I I'm never proud of half of the stuff I say in the argument, but I did catch myself and she'll probably never know the difference. I did catch myself pulling back a couple of times because it was a text message argument. And so I, I found what I wanted to say and I was like, no, be softer, be gentler. And it still wasn't pretty, right? But there were moments of like some clarity and sanity in it where it was like, you don't want to say those things at all. You're, you know, I don't know, I'm not even sure why I'm arguing half the time. I'm just arguing because now we're here and that's what we're doing. Um, I, I do try to keep a gratitude list. It's just very hard when these moments happen to, to feel the gratitude, even when I do the thoughts, you know, the active thinking of, Hey, it's not that bad. I really know it's not, it hasn't changed much from two weeks ago. Like I, I know this intellectually, I know I'm happy to have this family of mine. I know I'm happy for my kids. It doesn't seem to change the feeling very much when I do that. Yeah. And I don't know that we get to change our feelings, Right. you know, we feel what we feel like that's kind of always the way it's been explained to me. Like, and trying to change my feelings a lot of the times is what led me to addiction or leads me to other vices because, Hey, I don't like the way I'm feeling, but you know, 
pornography or spending money or, you know, some other woman like those things will make me feel better. And they might in the moment, but it's that instant gratification, Mm -hmm. you know, seeking that kind of gratification has always led me down a dark hole, down a dark path. Right. Um, Sometimes I think it is just healthy to sit and say, hey, this is how I feel. And that's okay. Every day isn't going to be great. Everyone's not happy all the time at every moment. Um, in addiction, I think I thought that's what it was supposed to be. Like every day is supposed to be great and I'm supposed to be happy all the time. And, and that's just not reality. I don't think that's reality for normal people. I hate to speak right. for normal people out there cause I'm totally not one of them. Um, but yeah, I don't think we just get to feel good all the time. You know, everybody gets a turn, whether it's by choice or just by feeling you know right no i still probably do from time to time fall into the trap of like you know wanting to walk outside my door and have a rainbow end on my house and you know butterflies flying around my face and which would actually probably be really annoying (laughs) right it It sounds fancy i and it's funny because i sit uh in my field placement doing i did this yesterday with an individual in a therapy session and told him hey you know, it's all right, whatever you feel, like, just feel it, it's okay, and then I can't seem to always do that myself, even when I feel it, um, not to switch too far off topics, but my, my daughters, so they're, they're 14 now, and then a lot of their life is about their friends, not so much, you know, mom and dad, or family, or any of that, they're not as overly concerned with that, they spend a lot of time on their phones, uh, on whatever video calling system they're using at the moment which drives me fucking crazy because i i don't know i get that it's a a a generational divide like i barely want to talk on the phone i definitely don't want you to fucking look at me when i'm like i'm not you know i get presentable to go out of the house when i'm at the house i'm look like a wreck probably or i just don't want to look at you i want to be able to pick my nose if i want to like the point is that i'm alone and not bothered by that and they spend their entire day walking around the house with their phone in front of them looking at people and being looked at. And I just think it's so fucking disturbing to me. And along with it, the fact that it's always on speakerphone. It's like, I feel like I'm constantly, if I walk in the room to say something to them, I have no warning that I'm also talking to, you know, people outside of my house at the same time. I can hear their fucking friends in my room because their speakerphone's so loud. They leave their friends on hold on video call and walk away for half an hour and come back. I'm like, what fucking dumb stuff is this and now every weekend they want to go somewhere with a friend and i don't i don't know if it's me or them i am always annoyed by it my initial reaction every time they ask to go do anything with a friend is fuck no (laughs) right like no that sounds like an inconvenience it's probably terrible your friends are probably awful for you and leading you down a path of disaster i hate the idea just fucking stay here and be with your family Even though when they're at home, they don't actually hang out with the family, right? They're in their room on the fucking phone anyway. So I don't know what that is about me, but that is always my initial take on it is that's a terrible idea. Wow. Yeah, I'm almost the other way. I like, I mean, I don't want to say I like my kids to go away, but, you know, I think it's good. My kids have a little different experience. They don't go to public school, so they don't have the normal, you know, quote unquote, normal uh, peer groups that you have in public school and things like that. Um, but they have friends and they do things and go out and are involved in different activities. And I've always encouraged them to seek, uh, outside 
people. I've encouraged them to bring their friends to our house so we meet them because right. I feel like I get a pretty good sense of people. Um, obviously, I mean, kids are going to hide stuff and they're going to be sneaky and you're not going to know everything. But it's um, for me, you know, growing up, I think the secrecy from my parents was a lot of what allowed me to continue to use at a young age. So with my kids, you know, I really just push honesty and openness. Hey, where are you going? Where are you going to be? How do I get a hold of you if I need to get a hold of you? You know, those right. kind of things. And then I just let them go and and try to trust that I've instilled in them the right values to take out into the world. And then as far as the inconvenience to me, I'm just honest with them. If I'm around doing nothing, I'll give them a ride somewhere. I don't mind at all. But if I'm busy, I can't. And they'll have to, you want to go, that's fine. You got to figure out logistics and finances, you know, <laughs> like, oh, am I supposed to give you money? Well, then what are you doing to earn the money? You know, right. um, you need to get somewhere, you know, I might be able to take you, I might not. So I do put some of that responsibility on them. Like, you know, we try to work that out. My kids are actually probably more organized than my wife and I, when it comes to most things like they have we have one of those calendars on the side of the fridge with all the days of the months on it and like my daughter's really good at going in and like marking down the days that she works each week and putting you know what's going on and we put activities and stuff on there and probably 90 percent of the stuff on there is what the kids wrote on there themselves not what her and i wrote on there we we just forget things right. Um, so I've real recognized like that's important to them. So I try to do that for them so that we can all coordinate, um, so that if they want to go somewhere or be somewhere, we can make that happen for them. I, I think a lot of, you know, the work that still needs to be done for me in recovery is, you know, still on some levels, letting go of that control, thinking I know better who their friends should be than they do. And, I haven't look, not that any of their friends are terrible, right? I haven't seen any awfulness happen right in front of my eyes. I have had a lot of their friends over because I agree. I, I want to meet people um, before, you know, I go sending my kids out in the world with them and get an idea for myself. But I definitely think I, I question their decision making skills for sure. Um, and, and some of that I think is warranted because they're 14 and 14 year olds by nature are idiots, right? But some of it might be excessive and I could use to work on some of that, letting go and, and understanding like I don't ultimately have control no matter what I do. I could put them in a padded bubble the rest of their life and they could find a way to suffocate or something like I can't save them from themselves. I can't save them from the world. I'm not that powerful. Yeah. And I've always sort of taken the notion with my kids that you know, the more you tell them they can't do or they're not allowed to do, you know, the more it sort of pushes mm. them to want to do it anyway. Right. So I'd rather it be open and honest. I mean, so I guess I'm allowed to say this. I don't know. Five people listen to this. So who really cares? <laughs> but, you know, my daughter at 16, we found out she had a boyfriend and they were sexually active. Right. And as a dad, you're never you never want to hear that. You don't want to you know, right. you don't want to know that. I mean, it's terrible, but we had an honest conversation and we took and got her on birth control and she takes birth control and we try to support her in that. And I'm sure people will be like, oh, you support your daughter having sex. Well, no, not really, but I don't support her raising a kid at 16, 17 years old either. And as much as I cannot want that to be the reality, I don't think telling her to stop is really going to make her stop. 
Right. You know, and what I, you know, I have always kind of jokingly, but half seriously said, like, if I ever found out they were really bad into drugs, like heroin or anything really bad, um, really hooked on drugs, that I would chain them to a bed in their room and lock the door and keep them in there for as long as I could. <laughs> I have kind of said that. Right. Um, and I don't know that I wouldn't, but, <laughs> you know, it's they're going to experience life, you know, whether I like it or not. And it's right. not always on my timetable. And for me personally, like I just look at my childhood. I mean, I was sexually active at 14 and getting into trouble, legal trouble at 15, 16. By the time I started driving, I'd already been driving. I had stolen cars and was driving before I even had a license. Um, And so, you know, I like my kids to be at least a little bit open with us about what's going on, at least then we can see you know, hopefully together, see where they make bad choices and then talk about those bad choices and work through them. Mm. Um, because we're all going to make bad choices. You know, we're growing up like that's part of growing up is like learning to live and experience life and make some mistakes. And, you know, we don't put it like my 17 year old, my wife does. And I try to get her to back off a little bit. It's like, you know, she's getting to the age where she's going to graduate soon and what she want to do for college and what do we want to do, you know, going forward in her life. And my wife's kind of pushing her a little bit to start making some decisions about, well, what do you want to do for a career and what do you want to do? And uh, I heard a guy say one time and it stuck with me pretty well. He said, so as a 35 or 40 year old person, would you ever go to a 17 year old and take career advice? Like you would never go to them and say, you know, hey, what would be good decisions for me to make for my career? So why do we in turn put that on them and go, oh, at 17, you need to start making good decisions about what you want to do with the rest of your life. Right. Like, no, that's they're not experienced or capable enough to make those decisions. So why are we letting them go out and sign up for these four year colleges and take out these student loans and do all these things that are basically making their career decisions for them for the rest of their life. Like it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's just not practical. So, you know, I want to just support my kids in experience in life, exploring things they like, exploring what they want to do, figuring out who they are now, why they have the supports of their parents, why they have a roof over their head and a place to live and, you know, people to take care of them because I don't plan on taking care of them forever. Um, at a certain age, I'm going to expect, and they know it, they have some personal responsibilities. Um, but I can look at it now as this is my opportunity to help them learn to make those decisions. Right. I think a a lot of my stuff is definitely based in fear. I don't, so fear doesn't control my life the way it used to. It doesn't call all the shots, um, but it's, <clears throat> you know, ever more present when I'm aware of, of what's going on with me. And when I'm in tune, I see that it's it's affecting me. It, I'm worried about their decision making. I, I, I'm scared of, you know, the activities that they find themselves into, which is basically fucking nothing, right? Like their generation is just on their phone all day, all the time that you let them be. And so we just, we had like some time restrictions on their phone, And there was a lot of animosity about that in the house that we had to, you know, they were cheating the system. And so we were punishing them and this, that, and the other, they had workarounds for how to get around it. And so we made a new agreement where we took that off, but their tour had to be done every day, you know, on time and this, that, and the other, and some other things. And it's like, 
a very low tolerance policy with that. Like if your chore is not done, well, then you don't have a phone, right? Like it's done. It's not a question anymore. It's not a, you're going to do it tomorrow. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of my fear does stem from that and more about, you know, what you said. I mean, policy and laws and social norms don't generally seem to match up with research, right? Like research says, Hey, people aren't really fully developed in their brain to make good long-term decisions about consequential thinking until 25. But let's do all this shit before then, right? right. <laughs> you can't make good consequential decision-making until you're 25, but go ahead and vote for the fucking president right. that's going to run the country at 18, right? Go ahead and drink at 21 and make good decisions there. Like that doesn't, none of that makes sense. Go ahead and fin- figure out what your career path is by 22 and- right. What you even like to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I went to school at 32. That's when I started college or, or 33, somewhere in that range. And like, I still didn't know <clears throat> what the fuck I wanted to do. So how does a, a 18 year old figure all that out when they aren't even fully developed in their brain? Right. And not only that, but sign, you know, student loans and take on all this debt that's right you know, probably more than their first house is going to cost, yeah. you know, they're doing that at 17. They wouldn't let them go out and buy a house at that age, but they'll let them acquire that much student debt, you know, exactly. which really has no, uh, intrinsic value. I mean, I don't know if it's intrinsic value is right where it has no, uh, monetary value, you know, cause they could go to school and not do well or go yeah. and take classes and get a degree and then not even work in that field. Like it's, it's right. a weird thing. And and that's so when I met my wife, she had a lot of student loans because she had a degree and I hadn't even thought about going to college at that point. But she her payment plan was a 30 year payment plan to repay it. Right. And it was like four hundred dollars a month at that point in time. And just looking at that, I said, well, that's like fifty thousand dollars less of a house we could ever afford over 30 years, that $400 a month that we could be putting into a $250,000 house. Now we have to buy a $200,000 house because we can't afford that $400 a month. And I'm like, why the fuck do we have 30 year mortgages for a (laughs) career? That's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's the old saying, like if parenting, you know, there's no book on perfect parenting and there's no sort of right way to do it. I mean, I guess, I've always looked at it as I am raising a bunch of unique and wonderful individuals. You know, I've been entrusted to the care of these individual beings and I want to guide and nurture and try as best I can to support them to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. Um, My kids They've all been raised in the same house with the same parents. I have three completely different kids as far as personality, responsibility. You know, I have one daughter who's incredibly responsible, cleans her room all the time, helps with dishes, takes care of her laundry, is very organized. And then my son is all over the place and his room's a mess and there's constantly dishes and there's a constant fight to, you know, take a shower and get ready for school on time. And, you know, then my older daughter is kind of right in the middle there <laughs> she's neither of the two and i believe our parenting has been the same with all of them right um but their personalities their interests their you know whatever is they're unique individuals and so you know i want to just be as honest and open and nurturing with them about life in the world and 
the different things. I mean, we talk about with our kids with drugs, like I imagine at some point they all tell me they never have, which is amazing to me. But we talk about drugs or drinking alcohol or things like that. And, you know, we've always been pretty open. They know my wife and I are in recovery. They've heard us talk about recovery and addiction and you know, they know a lot about it. They've been a lot around a lot of things. Uh, they've asked us lots of questions about it at different times. And we've always tried to just be honest with them about like, hey, you may try this at some point in your life. It's not, you know, and of course, most of the time now, thank God, they're like, no way, I'm never doing that, which, hey, great. I got no problem with that either. Right. But the truth is for most adults, you know, they can grow up and drink alcohol and be fine. And they don't turn into raging alcoholics and you know, addicts. Um, so we just try to approach it that way. Like, look, you know, you may get into situations where you want to, you're going to do these things or you're going to try them. And that's not bad. I'm not here to place moral judgments on people who drink or smoke pot or whatever. Um, but you need to be aware of what the warning signs are. And when you feel like you're going down a bad path and what these, what the consequences start to look like when you're having a problem you know, and address it early on. Don't let it get to some extreme place. Um, me growing up using, I used around a whole bunch of other people that were addicts. So I didn't realize how bad the behavior was or how extreme what I was doing was because my peer group at the time was all using, drinking and the same way, you right. know, I mean, when it got to the point that we were stealing and robbing and shit, that was, you know, you knew that was a problem, but you know, in my social group, that was acceptable. <laughs> right, right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, you make a, a lot of good points there. Uh, one of the most helpful things in my parenting was definitely I started off with twins. Um, and I had this belief that as a parent, I was going to, you know, guide and nurture them right into the right way of doing things. Um, and so early on, watching these twins develop, knowing that like whether my parenting style changed for a younger sibling of theirs or not, they got the same exact fucking thing, right? From day one, they got the same parenting and they are two completely different fucking people. <laughs> and so that really allowed me to like step back and take a look at my parenting and say, I don't need to be this overly insane, uh, you know, strict parent because it's obviously not working that way that I thought it would. I'm not producing these little people that are directly in tune with what I believe in and, and how to act and, you know, all those things about like parents feeling shameful when their kids act up in public or when their kids behave bad as if it's a reflection on them, like raising twins eliminated all of that for me because I'm like, I have so little to do with it. I gave these two the same thing and they had completely different experiences and outcomes from it. So obviously what I'm doing is only minimally uh, affecting their lives, you know, as, as children of mine. And, and it allowed me to step back and say, you know what? Uh, Maybe I just need to take a softer path of parenting for one and and reevaluate this whole idea because kids come out, they like you said, they're their own unique little pieces of nature, man. They're they haven't 
very little to do with what I'm doing. I'm not saying they don't pick up on some stuff. I'm not saying I can't traumatize them or, or give them lifelong complexes because I surely can, but I don't have as much input into their final product as I originally thought I would um, now that I've had that experience. But yeah, I, I do. I, I try to guide them and not be the the dictator and not be that. And I, I definitely don't do it perfect by any means. I have my better times and worse times. Two weeks ago, I was probably a better parent when I was, you know, in this great happy spot of gratitude uh, than, than I would be today. But I, I definitely struggle with just concern over their outcome, concern that I'm not doing it well enough, of course, um, concern that I don't know how to do it well, concern that I have these gut instinctual reactions to say no to things that I don't have any good reason to say no to. Um, and I, I, I'm like, where does that shit come from? Why do I just want to keep them from the world and, and, you know, hide them away or something? I, I don't know. I, I try to be pretty open with them, especially the older kids of mine know my history to some extent. Um, I haven't hidden things from them. I don't try to pretend I'm perfect. I try to have conversations that, you know, inspire them to come to me when they really have problems and and not overreact when they do some things so that they feel like they can come back. Um, But parenting is definitely probably the biggest challenge I've faced in recovery, uh, trying to do it well and, you know, all the self-centeredness of mine and thinking I know the right answers and the ego and, and the, you know, kids are going to lie, not out of a disrespect to me, but just out of avoiding trouble and, and understanding that and not taking that personally. And then all coming back to, you know, self-will versus God's will at some point of like, am I living in tune with spiritual principles here? Or am I just trying to enforce what I want to happen in my life, what makes my life easiest and feel best. Yeah. Well, I heard recently I was listening to a audio book and they were uh, talking about, and I don't remember the scientist's name, but they did all these studies on families and what, you know, made happy families versus unhappy families or healthy families versus unhealthy families. And sort of his summation, if you will, of that process was, you know, Happy families, there isn't one thing that all families that are happy do that makes them happy and healthy. There's a lot of things that you got to try to not get wrong. Um, Mm. So there's, you know, you can't just do, which is why it's so hard to have a happy, healthy family, you know. Right, there's no formula. Right, there's no, I can just do this one thing and everything will be great. It's, nope, you got to get like these 10 different things. They got to be fed, they got to be closed, their, you know, needs need to be met. But then there's emotional needs and physical needs, and then those change within kids. You know, the emotional needs of my children are all different. You know, my son is a very emotional kid, very reactive to his feelings, you know, Real high highs, real low lows, you know, overreacts to movies, you know, he'll cry at movies and stuff like that. And uh, my daughters don't seem to be that way. So instead of trying to parent that out of him, I've just grown to try to nurture that. Like that's just a part of who he is. So I have to take a little bit of different approach sometimes to him than I would take with my daughters. Um, that's been hard, you know, cause like I say, you feel like you want to do, if I just do these same things, it's going to work. Well, not necessarily, you know, what works for one doesn't work for the other. 
Yeah. Um, the, so my wife tends to be sort of what I'll call uh, pessimistic about the world, and I am more optimistic about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I am more encouraging of them to like, man, there is a lot of amazing, wonderful, beautiful people, beautiful places, beautiful things to do in the world. Um, there's so many things to go see and do and explore and experience. You know, this country is beautiful. If you ever have a chance to travel across the country, it's an amazing place. Beautiful. There's mountains and valleys and canyons and, you know, forests and desert lands. And, you know, it's just uh, oceans and beaches. Just we've had the great experience of seeing a lot of those things. And like I've tried to instill in my kids like, hey, as you get older, you don't have to stay here in Maryland. You can go wherever you want in this world. You're not limited to this little geographic region. You know, you should go wherever makes you happy, wherever you feel at peace and that you love. And now for some different weird reasons, my wife and I are kind of locked here into Maryland. Um, But that's by choice, not necessarily, you know, but we have some obligations to stay here. Um, But we have, you know, tried to teach that, like, at least I have tried to teach them to explore the world and see what's out there. And my wife is very much the opposite. She's very fearful. She's sort of, it's dangerous. You know, you got to really be careful. You got to, you know, watch who you talk to and who you're around. And, and I just, I don't live that way. (laughs) So I'm like, I see the crazy people walking down the streets. I live in a kind of not so great neighborhood and there's prostitutes and drug addicts all around and I see them and I just, Hey, how's it going today? And I talk to them and wave and, you know, I don't turn my back and run. Um, it hasn't caused me any harm yet. (laughs) I can't say that it won't. Um, but I don't know that living in fear reduces your risk of harm anymore. Absolutely not. (laughs) And, and I waffle from side to side with that. A lot of times I, I, Definitely can live in the the fear side of it and the aspect of it and, and and the pessimistic aspect. I mean, my father was probably, you know, maybe one of the greatest pessimists in history. I'm not sure. It uh, <laughs> seemed like it. But just looking at the state of the world and, and like the things. So I love when I see my kids that are overly emotional and I try to nurture those types of things, too. Right. So for me as a kid. I felt overly emotional and I feel like I was always judged for it and it, and tried to, you know, correct it because it was something wrong with me. And I, I kind of, I believe part of that is what led me, maybe not led me astray, but it definitely contributed to my feelings of not feeling right, not feeling a part of the world. Um, and, and I feel like getting in touch with that later on in life, that overly emotional side of me has kind of led me into the the therapeutic community of wanting to work in that environment, you know, the, the love and care for people that I do feel. Um, so I, I wish that would have been nurtured in me, but at the same time, when I see things in my kids, like comp- I want to combat the world, right? Like the world has this message. The U S has this message that it sends society gives them, Hey, buy stuff. Hey, love beautiful people. Hey, all these terrible messages that I fucking hate. Right. And I try to combat that. Uh, I don't want to nurture that part. Right. And, 
But that's what I see that everybody's caught up in, my kids included. It's like, oh, man, I got to watch these streamers. They're important. You know, Ninja matters. And I'm like, he's a fucking dude that lives next door to somebody. (laughs) Like, he's no different than your next door neighbor, right? These celebrities, Kylie Jenner, whoever the hell, they're not important. They're just people, right? Not that they're not important, but they're no more important than the guy who lives next door or across the street, right? And and I that's the message I try to send. And so I get pessimistic about if these kids are being raised by somebody who gives a fuck and they're turning out still buying into the messages of society and, and all these things that I consider not that great or wonderful, consumerism and beauty and all these concepts, right? You're, you're useless after the age of 22 because you're just getting old now and all that if they're being raised by a conscientious person who cares and still turning out that way, then the world's fucked because a lot of people aren't even in tune with that stuff even existing. They're just Amazon shopping every day and loving it and and not even aware that it might not be the greatest habit. Uh, And their kids are all going to obviously love that stuff. And so fuck it. We're all, we're just, we're going to elect, you know, Donald Trump for the next 80 years as president will change the rules and we're all just going to go to hell. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, so it's hard to be optimistic about that. Well, here's the optimistic take on that because (laughs) I have one for you. So how many times have you been, I'm going to tie this back into some recovery stuff. So how many times have you been (laughs) in meetings and you hear somebody say some shit that sounds great. Some guy with a bunch of years clean and he says some saying, and you think, Oh, that sounds wonderful. And you walk out of the room and you totally forget about it. You just, you don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. And then years later, as you're going through life and some situation comes up, that thing pops in your head and you go, Oh, that's what that means. That's what they're talking about when they say that, you know, and that's because those values and lessons were given to you. You just weren't ready for them yet. So as parents, I believe there's a lot of that going on. I'm putting the information there. I'm giving examples. I'm trying to put these things in their head. You know what I mean? And when the time comes, hopefully that'll be what they recall. Or as they have bad experiences, they'll go, oh, yeah, you know, I was warned about this and I didn't listen. But, you know, I have information there to combat that. So hopefully as parents, we just keep trying to instill the good values. And at the end of the day, those good values will win out. The seed um, has been planted. Yeah. And, and you know, as far as recovery, like we've taken a lot of, and my wife taught me this early on, like a lot of those principles that we learned through actually more the traditions than the steps, but a lot of those, uh, so in recovery, you hear a lot of times, you know, the steps are so I don't kill myself and the traditions are so I don't kill other people, <laughs> you know, that kind of saying, um, and, and we've taken that kind of a step further of a lot of those are the principles that I want to raise my family in, you know, um, you tweak them a little bit to try to make them fit, but the principles are the same, you know, the tradition would be our common welfare should come first, you know, recovery depends on unity. Well, in our family, our family happiness comes first, and that depends on family unity. How do we work as a family together? How do we talk to each other, see what each other's needs and goals and desires are? And then how do we make that happen for each person? Because we all, you know, five of us have different goals, different desires, different things we want to do, different places we want to go. And so as a parent, it's easy to say, well, I know best. I know what you need and I know what will make you happy and I know what you want to do. 
and I think I'm really smart. I know I'm smarter than them, so I should just make all the decisions, and then everything will be great. <laughs> um, but sometimes allowing them to be involved in the decision making and doing what they want to do versus what I want to do, you know, is there's more power in that than there is in being right. Um, and I forget that sometimes I get it wrong a lot, you know, and, and thinking yesterday with, so dealing with all that electric stuff at the house, you know, I was really critically aware of how far I've come in recovery with stuff like that. So as a obsessive compulsive person at times in my history of working on house projects or getting, you know, whether it was mow the grass or take care of this or that outside or fix some major thing, the water heaters broke, whatever it is, whatever project I'm working on in the past, especially when my kids were a lot younger, um, I was really locked and focused into getting that thing done. Whatever it was that I needed to do, say it's a water heater. Well, we all need hot water. It's for the good of the family. It's the most important thing. And I get locked in and tunnel vision and this is what I'm doing. And so then when the kids, you know, want food or they're fighting with each other and whatever, all those little distractions of addressing their wants and needs, I would flip out. You know what I mean? And get angry and start yelling and freaking out because I can't do what I want to do or need to do um, in that moment. Um, and some of that's, you know, my own weird stuff. I'm more goal oriented. So if I can focus on a task, complete it to completion, see the finished project, you know, I get personal satisfaction out of that. Right. Handling my kids' emotional needs or wants or demands, like that's just never ending. They're, you know, there's no <laughs> winning in that. It's just you handle this, and then the next thing comes up, and the next thing comes never up. ending. And the payoff doesn't show till later. Yeah, they really feel ungrateful a lot of the time. <laughs> um, so you know, in the past, that's really caused me some personal angst that I didn't recognize until the end of the day. You know, at the end of the day, well, the water heater's in, but now I feel like shit because I yelled at my kids five times and I made them feel bad about being hungry, you know, right. or being in an argument with each other when they're seven and five, you know, like just be in normal life. And so yesterday I'm working on all this electrical stuff and I kept having to take breaks to deal with, you know, making sure the dog gets outside and, and making sure the kids have lunch and you know, my son wanted to go to this thing, so I had to get him some money. And, you know, my daughter was going to babysit, so I had to make sure, you know, I was home in time for this and that. And just trying to be present in their lives and be available to them as the priority over the project of the electric as the priority. Like, that's an improvement that, you know, through recovery, I've learned to look at, oh, when I do this, it makes me feel bad. I feel guilty or bad. You know, so maybe we need to change that behavior because that guilt, shame and embarrassment and those things are usually an indicator to me that I'm not doing something right. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, you remind me of one of the things, uh, as you say, that the, the guilt over time helps you to remember to refocus and, and reframe and figure out your issues. Reminding me of some of the hope of recovery that like, um, I, I kind of believe the the good analogy of the road getting more narrow the longer I stay clean and the further into recovery I go. Meaning, you know, when I got here, it was like, hey, I'm not shooting heroin and cocaine today. Awesome. It doesn't matter what else I do, right? I can go steal. I can, you know, cheat on my girlfriend with five other women and lie to all of them about wanting to be with them. And none of that matters. It's all good. I'm not high today, right? And then over time, some of those behaviors start becoming less acceptable to me. And so to realize that and remember that 
often when I'm facing these life crisis in recovery nowadays, it, it's very, very different from that first day of recovery, right? It's things like, man, I might have had an attitude when I talked to my daughter earlier and I don't feel so great about it, right? Pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. Definitely, if, if that would have been my problem when I had a year clean, I'd have been like, I'm great, right? But the road has gotten narrower. And, and now the smaller things do affect me and they affect me sooner. And, and there's much more positive going on so that these minor inconveniences or, or adjustments that need to be made are taken care of much sooner when they start than they were in the past. It's not a three month venture down a line of self-centeredness. It's like, oh man, I feel crappy the last few days a little bit. Maybe I should readjust, right? And that is a lot of hope. Like my life probably is, it's never, my the way I feel about how I'm doing isn't really indicative of how I'm doing, right? How I'm doing and how I'm feeling are two completely separate ideas. And I need to often look at how I'm doing when I'm not feeling so great. Maybe I'm not doing all that great either and I need to adjust, but maybe it's just that I'm just not feeling that great and I'm still doing pretty well. Um, and that's a, a hopeful way to think too. So this is a weird thing we've done. And it's, it's again, another one of those sort of things you hear in recovery. But we have actually, and it's hard to say whether you'll get a straight answer or not, but we have actually sat down with our kids at times and said, how do you think we're doing as parents? Are there <laughs> things that you think we could do better? Are there things that we could do more of? Are there things that, you know, we do really well? And listen to what they have to say without judgment. Now, the right. judgment part's hard because they hurt your feelings. But we've done that with our kids at different times. And it's awkward. You know, it's yeah. it's uncomfortable. Um, but other skills that I've learned in recovery-wise that have helped me in parenting is just listening sometimes. You know, just sitting down, letting my kids talk, letting them get out whatever frustrations or whatever they have to say. A lot of times with me, I counter that with their arguments with logic, which is difficult, <laughs> but allowing them to have a feeling that, you know, I'm here to listen. I don't always agree. And I'll tell them that, well, I don't agree with that, or I don't see it that way, or that's not how we do things here. Like those things come out sometimes, but there are times where I'm like, well, I see your point. I understand what you're saying and I'm sorry, you know, whatever, um, the other thing I heard, and it was the same audiobook where the guy was talking about the family uh, studies and things like that. They said, as parents, we need to give ourselves a break. Like, we are going to make mistakes. We are going to do, you know, whatever bad things as parents at times. A lot of times, the best thing we can do is go to our kids and just apologize, just and not give a bunch of excuses on why we made a mistake, but just go to them and say, hey, look. I did this. I'm really sorry. That's not the kind of parent I want to be. And leaving it go. And just admitting like, hey, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. It's okay. You know, I'm trying to own up to it. You know, yesterday my son and I were in an argument and, you know, I yelled at him maybe a little more than he needed to. It was about cleaning his room, of course. We've been asking him nicely to clean his room, clean his room, clean his room. And he hasn't done it. So yesterday was the, all right, well, now we're turning off the Internet, which turned into a big fight. And then we're art, and then I'm yelling at him, and he didn't feel like, oh, so now it's just okay to yell at me whenever you're mad at me and all this stuff. And 
of course, my logic at the time was, look, I've tried to be nice. I've tried to ask you nicely. I've given you a whole weekend to do. I give you all last weekend to do it at your own pace, at your own time. I kept making suggestions. I kept trying to be nice. That hasn't worked for me. So now I'm going to try this. And we'll say if yelling and consequences gets it done. And right. unfortunately, guess what? It got it done. Ugh. And so I, I just told him flat out. I said, I'm going to do what I need to do to get this done. There at the time. And they're not major, but they are like there's health issues there. He's got dirty dishes and stuff in his room. I don't want bugs in the house. I don't want ants and, right. you know, bugs in the house and mold growing on dishes in his bedroom. Like that's unhealthy and we're not going to have that in the house. And, you know, learning when to kind of crack down a little bit is, is that tough line, but I did. So I will say I was a little loud at times, but I really am careful now not to insult or degrade them, which are things I've done in the past, you know, things like, you know, what are you stupid or quit being an idiot, you know, saying those kind of things. Cause that's the way I was raised. I was talked down to a lot, right. probably has to do with my self-esteem issues, but, um, so that's what comes out naturally a lot of times. Um, but you learn, you know, Hey, well, how did that make you feel? How was, you know, how was that? Um, so yeah, there are times that I'll yell or, or be a little more assertive as a parent that I can do that in a way that's not, uh, degrading or belittling to him, you know, or them. I don't yell at my daughters too much. They're pretty good. Um, they, we've gotten beyond that. They've realized arguing and yelling doesn't really accomplish much. We're, we got goals to achieve. Let's see how we need to get there. We can work together and do it, or right. we can work against each other. But at the end of the day, you know, there is a sort of underlying, like it's my house. I'm in charge. These are kind of the rules. I'll listen to you. If you want to talk about some of them, some of them are negotiable at different times, but in general, we have, a standard, a quality of life that we want to maintain in our household. And you have an obligation and responsibility to uphold that with clean dishes and cleaning up and picking up after yourselves and vacuuming your room and vacuuming after the dog and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I'm with you on, on not stigmatizing, not labeling my kids. I try to do that to best of my ability and I'm sure I fall short, but instead of like calling them a liar, I say they told a lie. And things along that nature. And I, I know it seems like a small distinction, but I think it's important, right? You're, you're not, your nature is not to be a liar. You said something that was untrue because you were trying to avoid being in trouble, right? And I want to understand that and, and try to remember to frame it that way when I'm talking to them so that I don't paint this portrait of them being a terrible person. They're a person who made a decision that maybe I don't agree with. Um, and I think saying that helps them. And I think saying it like that also helps me to remember that. Um, <clears throat> it's funny you brought up the the time for the kids to have a voice. And I found that to be very important. And I did that for a while. We would sit around and we had like a, a judgment free, you know, vent space, basically, where you could say whatever you felt like you needed to say to people, including adults, and there would supposedly be no judgment about it. And we could air it out and maybe talk about it, maybe just air it out. Um, and it, it went okay. I, I think we did it a few times at one point and the kids were a little iffy about what they could really say. You know what I mean? They were still like, you really, can I really call you a jerk or whatever? Um, I, I do remember, and I'm sure my wife, uh, who was probably my only listener will remember this differently. 
she seemed to struggle keeping the judgment free part out of it <laughs> a little bit. Um, it seemed like when the kids would criticize her, she took it personal, which is very natural, right? I'm not trying to say it wasn't, it was easy to sit there um, and hear criticisms. I did feel like at the time we did it, they were a little younger and maybe there wasn't a whole lot of valuable input to take from it for, for us as parents. Um, it was like, Oh, well, you don't let us play on the Xbox enough or something, you know, that really seemed small and ridiculous at the time. Um, but I do, I do think that might be a valuable thing to try to put back into place, which would lead me into my next issue, uh, <laughs> which was what my argument was about the other night is just feeling like I don't have enough time with my family. Um, you know, I was working and, and in a field placement, and now even with the job on hold, there's still a limited amount of time to be home. There's definitely a limited amount of time to be home by the time my wife gets home from her job where we're all there, um, and there's things that need to be accomplished, and people have their own agenda of what they really want to do. Um, but I, along with that, we we sign them up for activities. Um and sports. And, and I, I bring this up because I know you are somewhat on the other side of the opinion of this. And so that might be useful for me to hear that from another place. I think it's too much, right? I, I miss the concept of the 1950s when there was not really organized kids sports. Like you went out into your front street and there was 18 kids out there and y'all walked down the park and played a game of baseball together. And that was great. Um, I liked I think I like the concept of team sports and organized sports. It's, it's nice, you know, it gives them some team building and everything, but so I have five kids, right? Four of them are of sport playing age. And so when you put four kids into a sport, that's a lot of your week, right? Practices, games, you got to be at fields, like for sometimes five to eight hours on a Saturday, it's overwhelming for me to think that that much of my life that I'm trying to spend with my family is spent sitting at a field and and not that I don't enjoy watching some of the games, but it's still a very long time to be there. Uh, and then when you start talking about some of these four kids having two sports in a season, and then you talk about doing four sports seasons and some are doing two. And now my wife's even mentioning she don't want to hold one kid back and they want to do three sports in a season. And I'm like, what the fuck? Right. When is enough enough? When is this too goddamn much? And so we have arguments about that. And look, I'm scared. I'm wrong. Right. I'm scared that taking them out of sports is the wrong thing. So I, I'm never forceful about like, we definitely got to stop doing sports, but I, I am concerned that like, I would like to have less of that, less rushing around to places, less sitting at fields and, and sports arenas, and more time to, you know, sit and have a conversation of a judgment-free family zone. And she completely disagrees. She thinks it's very healthy to always be in sports. And I, I, I sent her some like research that talks about kids being overly into activities that might be adverse to their health. She's like, oh, that's when you're talking about a kid being in, you know, 16 different activities and all that. And I'm like, yeah, that's one kid, right? We have five. <laughs> um, but but to me, my answer is this. It's obviously an issue if it's a fucking issue to me, right? We don't need research to prove this. Like if it's adversely affecting my health because it's too much, there's a fucking issue whether you 
believe it's good or bad for them. Like it's an issue for our family because it's too much for me. And I don't, when is too much, too much, right? When is there not enough time to just be? When are we human doings and not human beings anymore? And I, I struggle with that. And I know you are a definite fan of having your kids in some sports. And so I, I definitely, I want to hear your take on it because it's easy to just discount my wife. I won't <laughs> discount you quite as simply, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I've thought a lot about that. My general overall uh, theory on kids with my children is they didn't ask to be here. They didn't ask for me as parents. You know, I wanted them or at least made the choices to bring them into this world. So I owe them. They don't owe me anything. Um, That's just a general, I don't know if it's right or wrong. That's just always been my take on it. So I feel an obligation to give them the best possible life and opportunity and those things as I can. Um, my wife and I have been around about that stuff too. Um, I personally am a big fan of sports specifically for the physical activity, the team building. There's a lot of value in it. Um, I don't force them to do it. I allow them to pick and choose what they want to do. But again, it's experiences of life. We've done every thing I think you can do with kids, gymnastics and horseback riding and baseball and soccer and you know just every activity i always bring them up hey you can do this hey you can do that check out flag football you know whatever um and i'm always bringing up stuff for them to try and check out because i always sort of in the back of my mind i always hope they're going to do that one thing that they're going to love they're going to find out what it is who knows archery whatever they're going to find it they're going to be like man this brings me immense joy and immense happiness and I love it. And uh I want to support them in that, you know? I want to to be there for them in that. Um my wife and I are very different. I'm the one that's at all I'm at everything they ever do. I don't miss activities, practices, events, whatever. I've been to almost all of them. I've missed very few in my life. And uh to me it's more letting them know that I support them in the things that they want to do and what they're interested in and that I'm on team, whatever kid it is, even if it's stuff I don't want to do. Um, I will say now that they're getting a little older um, and this would be kind of whatever my suggestion to you is sit down and talk to them, ask them if they could like, do you care? Is it important to you that I'm at every game? Because with my schedule and stuff, it's pretty hard. And if it's really important to you, I will definitely make an effort to be there. But you might find out they'll go, no, I don't really care. You don't have to come. We're having just as much fun with you there as if you're not there. So, in fact, we don't even like you being there. You know, who right. knows what they're going to say if you ask them that. And that may give you personally some freedom to make choices of what you want to do with so your time. <laughs> I, I did something along those lines. Uh, not really that I asked them so much. My my one daughter of the twins, my one daughter always tells me she doesn't care if I'm there or not. And I almost feel like she goes so out of her way to say it, it really feels like a defense mechanism. Um, and so I really have a hard time trusting the information. But even if I did trust it, my other daughter's like, no, man, I really like when you're there. So <laughs> it wouldn't matter. Um, but this season in particular, I was I had something to do Saturday mornings. I 
could not see either of my son's soccer games for the entire season. I did take one Saturday off um, to make sure that I got to see a piece of each game. Right. I, I saw the first half of one game, one boy's game and the second half of the others. But the the 10 year old told me many times, man, why can't you come to my game this morning? And it's like, I just can't. And I didn't feel guilty about it. I couldn't. Right. I had something else going on. Um, but I I do. I just get so overwhelmed by it. And and I, I heard what you said that made me I liked what you said. The only thing that made, popped a question in my head was you said, you know, you brought them in. You want to do what's best for them. They don't owe you. And I believe that to some extent. Um, but then you said you want to do what's best for them. And that's where I always have my questions. Like, what is best for my kids, right? I can easily justify whatever I want to say is best for them. Um, is it best that I keep them busy at all hours of their life? Like, part of me says yes, right? That keeps them busy and away from boredom and drug use, right? Which is something I would love to do, keep them away <laughs> from that. I think that's important. I think that could be useful. The other part of me says, man, am I setting them up for a really fucking miserable life later because they think this is what life is? And then I finally send them out to the world, to college or something where there's not sporting events and practices and shit all the time. And and then they find drugs and alcohol because, you know, the shock to their system of what do I do now? I'm sitting here doing nothing. I used to always do stuff all the time. I I don't know. I, I think there's value in sitting still. I think there's value in spending time together. And I don't feel like as a family, we do enough of that. I mean, we generally eat dinners together, right? We we do some things that are out of practice in parts of, you know, the U.S., but I, I don't know. Like, I feel like we run around a lot. It's yeah. a lot of going here and there. It's like, ugh. And I, yeah, I've, I've heard some of that too. Um, it, my nature is to want to go and do stuff all the time. So it doesn't bother me at all. Right. I don't mind. Um, but that's just who I like. If I'm sitting around on the couch watching television, I feel like I'm just wasting time. Like I got a limited amount of time on this planet. I want to try to use it doing shit. You know, right. like, that's just my take on stuff. And I'm always high energy. A um, couple of things. One, you know, when I think about, my kids i think i only get this amount of quality time with them for a very limited amount of time i mean 18 years sounds like a long time but i've been in recovery longer than that and that feels like the blink of an eye you know it's like wow man it goes so quick and uh not that i'm necessarily going to be out of their life but like with my 17 year old now she drives so she's taking herself everywhere and going to work and drives to school and she doesn't really need me to do a lot for her. You know, she's becoming pretty independent. Um, and there's ways that I'm proud of that. And then there's other ways where I'm kind of like, whoa, she's doing her own thing. Like she's almost an adult, <laughs> Like right. you know, she really doesn't need me anymore. You know, she's getting, and um, there's a little bit of sadness in that. Like I'll always be her dad. I think she'll always count on us to be around and help her with things. At least I hope so. Right. Um, so yeah, we only get a limited amount, you know, I, and I've always looked at it and I've explained this in meetings and stuff to people. Like I don't, 
So I have pulled back the amount of service commitments and the amount of activities that I've done in the fellowship and and all those amount of meetings that I went to because I felt an obligation to my kids. And not that I let, you know, them and my family trump my recovery, but it also like there needs to be some balance there where I need to be available to my kids and my family. And sometimes that means giving up stuff that I want to do. Like, yeah, it's great to go to three meetings a week and go out to dinner after the meeting and go hang out with some friends and do all those things. But when I had really young kids, I gave up a lot of that. Um, I'll say purposefully, like knowing like, hey, this isn't forever. In a couple more years, my kids are going to be older. And now that's we're getting to that side of it now. Like my kids are older. So I can go out to more meetings and I can go to lots of recovery events and I can go out with my friends and do more things. And I don't feel like that sacrifice, like I don't regret that sacrifice. Like I still feel like it was a good sacrifice to make. Um, The last thing I'll say about, you know, that part of my kids, and this is probably the the more uh, unpopular version thing that I'm going to say is that I often have joked about like my kids are 17, 14 and 11. I don't know about you. I don't have much in common with a 14 year old girl. There isn't a lot of conversation topics that we're going to get into. You know what I mean? That are going to interest me or probably interest her. I babble on my nonsense about history and weird stuff last night i'm talking to her about oppenheimer and his you know <laughs> his quotes of the manhattan project and she humors me for a couple minutes but she's not really engaged in the conversation right. but to me that's a fascinating conversation and she's not interested in that in the least and she's on tumblr with her friends or whatever you know chat and probably like my dad is such a dork um <laughs> but the truth is i don't have much in common with kids you know i'm not a kid i don't relate to the world in that way anymore so i don't feel an overwhelming obligation to spend all this time with them myself um what i find more exciting and i think they do too is we find stuff that we like to do together you know we like to do activities together we do you know we'll go out hiking we'll go out they're they're all excited about going skiing this winter. So we'll plan some ski trips and we'll go out and we'll go skiing together. And it might not necessarily be this beaver cleaver quality time thing that they had in the fifties or sixties or whatever, but we go out, we have fun. We go to dinner afterwards. We talk about our day. We talk about how much fun it was. We share life experiences together. And for me, that's important. And I think for them, that's important. So we find these areas where we all enjoy doing the same things and we go out and live and enjoy life together. Well, and and I think you've brought up some of my main issues with what's going on or or with the sports and activities uh, when you said the word balance, right? That's what I feel like is completely missing. And, and, you know, I wasn't the one because I had so much else going on. I was not the one taking them to these practices during the week. I wasn't at the games on Saturday mornings. I was getting out of my my field placement Saturdays after being there for six hours and going and sitting at a softball field for five and a half hours, which was just more than I really wanted to do for sure. But what I look at, and, and I've said this to my wife, is that like, okay, we've got two weeks worth of laundry and baskets that we haven't put away yet. I've been wanting to like vacuum the floor for a month now. The bathroom hasn't been clean for a couple weeks. We're not taking care of the shit we need to take care of around the house because her argument is I don't like sitting at home. 
right? I don't like being at home. I like doing these things with the kids. I like going out of the house and doing things. And I'm like, that's great, but we're not taking care of our fucking responsibilities because we're never here and don't have time to do it, right? So if we're running so much around that we can't actually take care of the household life and keep up with that and chores and things that we want to do, I want to vacuum the fucking floor. I don't like a messy floor, right? Um, If we can't even do that, like maybe there's an issue with this. You tied into it with talking about doing activities with your kids. I also like that. I love taking a hike. This is a great hiking weather right now. I like even going to a mall and just kind of window shopping once in a while and doing other random activities with my family, right? And I feel like there's never time to do that because we're always at a goddamn commitment. We're always at a softball game, soccer game, practice some way, shape, or form. And when we're there, I'm not spending time with them. I'm sitting there watching them, which is fine. Like I do enjoy a lot of that. I enjoy their softball games. They're at an age now where it's kind of competitive and it's enjoy. It's like watching a game, right? But I don't want to feel like there's never a time to do these other things as an actual family. A lot of times we're like, well, we're going to be at the field for five hours watching softball. We'll leave the other two kids home. Well, okay, so now I don't even have my whole family with me, right? And I get it. It's boring for a five and a 10-year-old boy to sit at a field for five and a half hours. It's awful. I wouldn't want to put them through that. But when do we have the time to clean our house, to take stock of our groceries and, and get rid of the stuff that's expired and go on hikes and, you know, find... I. Every once in a great while, I have a free weekend and I'm like, oh, I'll go and see what kind of events are in the area. What's coming up? Is there a cool fair we can go to or something? I don't even feel like I get to look for that most of the time because I'm so busy figuring out how am I going to get to this practice or game or whatever. Like, I want more of the other stuff. So, and you reminded me of this and I'm like, yeah, that is true. I have, for different reasons, we have put limits on things. And actually, I, I was thinking, yeah, we actually have. Um, sometimes they've been monetary limits because a lot of these extracurricular activities cost a lot of money. They're expensive. Right. And so we've said, hey, you have to make a choice. Sometimes it's been time-wise commitments. But yeah, we have put limits on, you can't do this, this, and this. You got to pick you know, one at a time for because we have a family, because we have, you know, there's five of us and we all have stuff we want to do. And so we got to balance that out. Right. Um, so we have put limits on things. Um, there was something else I was going to talk about there and I forget about what it was. That's I, okay. I feel like we had a limit of one sport per kid per season, which is still a little overwhelming with, with you know, four of them playing right now. But we don't even stick to it because now there's sports in school. And it's like, well, you could be on the school team and this. And and now, like, my one daughter coming up for the next season. And I, I think I said no and we're not doing it, I hope. But apparently there was, like, school basketball, rec basketball, and some other girl on her softball team wanted her to play on the club basketball. And I'm like, really? Three? I thought we set this one per kid limit. And here we are. And I just, I just don't know, man. And maybe talking about some of that with them saying, Hey, look, you know, you want to commit to all three of these. If you're going to make that commitment, I'm going to commit to this one. I'll get you to this one. I'll get you back. I'll worry about that. You know, these are your, I mean, again, it's just teaching them lessons. Like you want to commit to all these things. Okay. How are you getting to practices? How are you getting home? 
Do you have supports? Can people help you? Is somebody going to be able to give you a ride? Is this girl going to be able to pick you up every week? You know, and then of course things will happen and that'll fall through and you'll end up picking up in areas where you need, <laughs> but it's just allowing them to make some choices for themselves. Like say my 17 year old's working all the time. Now we got her a car. She worked six days last week. You know, she's in school and worked six days. I'm like, are you sure that's healthy? Like you need to learn to balance. Like maybe you need to talk to your work and tell them that's a lot, you know, right. <laughs> like you can't do that. Um, yeah. So having some of those, uh, giving them the freedom to like, Oh, you want to make these commitments. You have some obligation in these commitments too. Like, I'm not committing to these three things. I'm committing to this one thing. You can commit to these other things. Right. Yeah, it's tough. I I, I mean, we are in a, a situation, uh, you know, we have very helpful grandparents that will take them to places. I hate to, I hate when they do it, not because I hate that they help. I just don't want to put them out more than they already assist. Um so we do have that in place, and I feel like that's maybe taken advantage of. I, I don't know. I definitely, this entire podcast, I feel like uh, two days ago, I was thinking maybe I need to start therapy again. And now <laughs> I feel like we've been sitting here, and I'm like just running by all my problems uh, while we're talking about this. And I'm sure, you know, when my wife listens, we'll lose our, our only faithful listener because I bitched about her. <laughs> Well, and speaking about therapy, I was thinking of this, and that's what I wanted to say earlier, and I forgot, so I'm going to say it now. It's like, how many kids have you, or I know you're limited in your therapy practice yet, but how many kids or family members or adults you think are in therapy because there was some clothes in a basket in the living room or the bathroom was a little dirty or, you know, dinner was a little late? Like, those aren't the things that end up putting people in therapy. What ends up putting people in therapy is I didn't feel like my parents loved me. I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel like the things that I wanted mattered. You know, those are the things that, I mean, and maybe I'm saying that as a justification because I got clothes piled up on my, you know, dresser <laughs> that aren't put away. They're sitting there in a pile all folded and I need to hang up my work stuff and put my clothes away. And I haven't. So maybe I'm just justifying my own stuff. But I don't think those at the end of the day, it's like what really matters you know, and it's that our kids feel loved and supported and, and that what they want to do and need to do matters. Um, but don't necessarily put all that on. They are older now, your 14 year olds. They can start making some choices for themselves and, you know, realize, hey, all right, you want to make all these commitments. This is what comes with it. If you can't uphold your end of the bargain, then you can't do it. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I do. And and no, I, I mean, I don't think unfolded clothes sends people to therapy <laughs> later in their life. I, I do think people, people's early life experiences are probably exacerbated by their inability to feel like they can keep up with life frequently. Like that's very anxiety producing later in life and draws up those childhood experiences. So I will say that kind of stuff is going to send me to therapy, <laughs> right? But yeah, I... I do. I hope they know I love them. I, I struggle sometimes. My 10-year-old boy, I feel like he's constantly on Xbox, and I know that's what 10-year-olds do, but it's like, man, I, I I try to pull him aside at times and just be like, dude, I, I know like you're not available to talk too much, but I do like talking to you, and I love you. And I, you know, whenever he does ask me to do something, 
I really try to, even when it's not what I want to do. He wanted to go out in the goddamn dark the other night and kick the soccer ball around. I'm like, ugh, fine, come on. Like, we'll go get hit in the head with a soccer ball because we can't see it. Uh, so, I mean, I, I guess one of the important takeaways, man, recovery um, has definitely helped me give a fuck. Like, mm. I care. I care that I want to be better. I want to be a good dad. I want to do my best. I, I want to definitely not be the guy who ends up using again and stealing his kids fucking Christmas presents. And like, I've heard that story and it's tragic mm. and I would be that guy if I use. Right. Um, but even without using, I can still be a jerk and uncaring and, but I don't, I want to care. I want to be here today and, and be valuable and important and guide them healthily. So thank you recovery for, for that. Right. If nothing else. Yeah. And I will say in, in just to, actually agree with your point a little bit i have heard our society is really bad at feeling some obligation to keep our kids entertained and amused at all hours of the day anymore that's right you know, that, it's, jobs, right? that it's our job yeah and and we shouldn't have to do that like that actually can kill like creativity and imagination and those things so sometimes some downtime and bored boredom quote unquote right. boredom time can inspire them to be greater people. <laughs> I think I read that Steve Jobs wouldn't let his kids have iPads because he said not he said the distraction took away from the boredom time and the boredom time was where iPads got invented in the first place. He's like mm-hmm. that's where all creation comes from is mm-hmm. the boredom. So yeah, I don't know. I guess boredom either leads to creation or heroin. <laughs> one of the two. Right. Um I don't know you got anything else to add this week? No, I think I'm good. Talked about parenting enough. Yeah, I guess that'll be the the topic. (laughs) Parenting, sort of. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, As always, feel free to leave a message if you're on Anchor or can get to Anchor. Or you can now reach out to us on Twitter, of course, with at recovery, sort of. Or you can email us. uh, It's recovery, sort of, at gmail.com. I hope everybody has a great week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.